Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This is the Juice on the Cues podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Good morning, Syracuse. Welcome back to the Juice on the Cues podcast presented by Rivals.com. I'm your host, Wes Chang. Thanks so much for joining us on this Friday, August 25th, 2023. We're now a week and a day away from the start of the 2023 Syracuse football season. So it's time for me to put in my official predictions for the season. We had Rich Scanlon on two weeks ago. He said he's predicting seven regular season wins. Brad Bierman, our editor-in-chief, has Syracuse at eight regular season wins, plus a ninth in a bowl game. So here's what I got. The wins for Syracuse. Colgate, Western Michigan, Army, Virginia Tech, Boston College, Georgia Tech. I've got them at 6-6 six and six for the regular season. That's probably a little bit lower than some of the prognosticators that I'm seeing online and hearing right here on this podcast, but I still got them in the postseason, and if I'm right, that'll be the first time since 2013 that SU's made two bowl games in a row. So let's welcome on former All-Big East and NFL punter and former Syracuse football captain, Brendan Carney. Brendan, love this time of the year. Thanks so much for coming on. How's it going today? I'm doing well, Wes. Uh, thanks for, for having me back. I always uh, enjoy coming on, speaking with you about uh, about Syracuse football and, uh, and this upcoming season. So looking forward to it. Yeah, of course, Brendan. And I definitely want to get to the start of the football season a little bit, but I want to get you started on this one about conference realignment. We're seeing a lot of stories about Stanford, Cal, and SMU coming to the ACC. You've been coming on this podcast for over a decade now. I don't think I would have asked you this in 2013, but what do you think about the possibility of Syracuse playing Stanford in a regular season game in football? I mean, that's got to be wild to you, right? Yeah, I think... uh... You know the changes are, are happening at a at a dizzying rate. Um, I feel like you need a, an MBA at this point to fully understand all the you know mergers and acquisitions talk. You know the red <laughs> models. You know the TV contract restrictions that are out there. Um, so you know it's just like everything else. Like I think there's you know pros and cons. You know to the to these realignments. Um, you know on the pro side of it, I think uh, you know you'll see. Um, Obviously, the financial benefits, which is really driving all of this, but, uh, you know, larger TV contracts and higher revenue sharing models, uh, you know, which will lead to, you know, improved facilities at schools, um, you know, and help support other uh, athletic programs as well. Um, obviously, enhanced exposure. Uh, I think uh, schools will get, you know, more media exposure, um, you know, rising their uh, – their, um, you know, their national profile, which will attract, you know, better recruits to their schools. Um, then obviously, 
increased uh, competition. Um, I think, you know, teams are going to align with those of uh, similar skill levels. And uh, so we'll see, you know, more exciting matchups, you know, which will in turn attract, um, you know, larger audiences. Um, then on the flip side, you know, kind of to what you alluded to, you know, we're going to lose some of those traditional rivalries that, uh, you know, at least, you know, you and I grew up watching. Um, you know, we've already lost some of them. You know, one that comes to mind is the, the backyard brawl between Pitt and West Virginia. I always love watching that game for some reason, even though they were rivals of ours. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, we're going to lose some of those uh, those historic uh, rivalries. And, um, you know, that could potentially, you know, we'll see what that kind of looks like. That might, you know, have an uh, impact uh, the fan engagement as well, I think. But uh, but I guess we'll kind of see how, how that unfolds. Um and I think uh, you know travel and uh, and academic impact is is something to take into uh, into account here. I think you know they're going to spend more time traveling um, for these non-revenue sports, uh, so you know maybe missing class time, um, and then even for the fans too, right? Like I'm thinking, you know, if you look at the Big Ten, I'm thinking is Rutgers going to travel 3,000 miles to Oregon and vice versa? Um, so it'll be interesting just to kind of see how the you know how the fan bases travel to these, uh, you know, now that the geographical um, distances have expanded so much. So, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, those are some of the pros and cons of it. It looks like we're probably going to move into a three or maybe even two uh, super confidence landscape. Um, you know, the SEC and Big Ten money is is kind of far greater than the, than anything else, which is really driving this whole thing. Um, you know, I know the Big 12 and ACC have some protections in place right now. Uh, keyword being right now, um, but uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's not going to be too long before those two conferences get rated, in my opinion, and we'll see, you know, another scramble at some point for schools trying to find a home. Um, you know, in 2024, I think the playoffs, the college football playoffs, are expanding to 12 games. Uh, that's going to be interesting to watch as well. There's going to be a huge influx of money from something like that, and I think you know we'll potentially see that expand again at some point. Um, so, uh, but, uh, but look, I, you know, the season starts next weekend. So if there's, if there's any more changes about to take place, you know, I hope it happens this week so we can focus on, uh, in my opinion, what really matters are the games and the players. So I guess, we'll, we'll, you know, it's, it's uh, always evolving. We'll see how it goes, but um, yeah, it's been a, a wild two years with uh, some of these uh, realignments. So yeah, let's get out of realignment. Let's get into the 2023 football season. What are your overall thoughts on the team heading into this fall? Um, so let's see. Uh, so it's Dino's eighth season, uh, Jason Beck's first season as an offensive coordinator, but his second year with Syracuse. Um, I think we should see somewhat of a similar approach this year from an offensive perspective. Uh, Rocky Long's first season as a, a DC in Syracuse uh, was in the room when the 335 was invented. Uh, so he's been coaching that for a long time. Um, a few changes amongst the you know, position coaches, but um, you know Dino's done a good job backfilling those those jobs with uh, you know with good guys, in my opinion. Um, yeah, so for the offense, I think the questions are really around the offensive line, keeping those guys healthy all season. Uh, you know, on the wide receivers from that standpoint, who's going to step in the number two spot after after Gatson? We're probably going to see him get uh, double teamed a lot this year. So it's a perfect opportunity for one of the young guys to kind of step up and take that number two and, and, and three spot. I'd love to see Isaiah Jones have a breakout year. I was, you know, he was starting to show those signs last year, but then he had that season ending injury. So it'll be nice to see him back out there. Um, and I think, uh, you know, we'll see LaQuint Allen, uh, 
you know, taking over at the running back spot. It'll be nice to kind of see him um, see him have a breakout year potentially, or even work in uh, Juwan Price, uh, the, the transfer from, I believe, from New Mexico State. Um, you know, he looks like he's a big guy, so it'll be nice to see uh, those two in the backfield. Um, obviously anxious to see Schrader's development from last year. I know he had the surgery, but, uh, uh, you know, everything we're seeing from camp seems to be um, – Seems to be in good shape. Um, keeping him healthy is going to be going to be huge for us this year. Uh, moving to the other side of the ball under under Rocky, um, you know it's going to be interesting to watch. I know we lost some key guys uh, who were big contributors last year, but um, I, I really like Marlo Wax as a leader of this defense. Um, you know he's going to be the top linebacker in the conference and, and maybe even in the country. So I'm looking forward. Uh, looking forward to that. Also looking forward to seeing Stefan Thompson back this year. I know he's kind of been, uh, been easing him back in. Um, I don't think he's been in pads yet, but, um, uh, you know, I was so excited to watch him last year and it was, uh, it was sad to see him go down so early, but, um, you know, I think he can, he can be someone that has another breakout year for us. Um, let's see. I, I think we're going to have to look to like Justin Barron in that defensive backfield and, uh, Caleb Okachuku. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Leading to D Lyman. Um, you know, I know there's some questions around depth and experience, but uh, you know, uh, I'm kind of, I'm on board for giving these young guys a shot and uh, and seeing how they perform. Um, and then uh, the other aspect, special teams. I think uh, you know, you got the second second year under Coach Lig, and uh, <clears throat> so hopefully, is a better understanding of you know the guys he needs on these units. Uh, you know, it looks like we're going to get um, this Jack Stonehouse, the punter, the transfer from Missouri, uh, is going to be the starter this year, I think. Um, who comes from um, sounds like he comes from a lineage of punters. I mean, I think his cousin's punting in the NFL right now. I think his dad and his uncle, I know they play college ball, and I think they both may have punted in the NFL, so sounds like we're in good hands there. Um, but he's coming in with some real game experience from last year, so uh, looks like he's going to be our guy, and uh, always interested to see how that unit performs. Um, so, we'll see. Uh, I'm excited. I think, uh, you know, we lost a lot last year, but um, I think we got some some experience coming back and some guys are going to step up and uh you know i'm excited to watch them brendan i did my win-loss predictions right before you came on so we'll get you out here on this one what are you predicting for syracuse's record this year yeah so i've always been uh i guess politically correct when i answer this question um so I, and again <laughs> it's, it's, yeah it's it's a similar response as last year i think we're you know I, i'm looking at the schedule i think there's a you know, there's a good chance we can get off to a really good start. Um, you know, three and one, maybe even four and zero. Oh. Uh, I think we then hit a stretch of three games against Clemson, UNC, and Florida State, which will be tough. It would be nice to get out of there with one win. Um, but even if not, it'd be nice if they just were in those games, um, you know, competitively, and and we're hanging in there. So they're uh, at least their confidence is still there. Um, and then after that, the last, you know, I think that's five games. Um, I don't see any of those teams uh, as, you know, I think they're all winnable games, right? So I'm definitely, I'm going to go out on a limb and say we've got seven wins, maybe eight wins this year, uh, and definitely, uh, definitely bowl bound. Thank you. Thank you, Brendan. Really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Wes. Thanks for having me on, and go Orange. 
for those of you who don't know, Brendan works in finance right now, but he could easily work as a college football analyst. Always incredibly thoughtful answers from him about the team. And the one thing I wanted to point out, since Brendan was a great punter for Syracuse, the Orange only have Stonehouse and Max von Marburg on the roster right now. If you look at the official roster, James Williams, who's heading into his junior year, is no longer listed. So anyway, we thank Brendan for coming on. We'll be joined by the Juice Online Associate Editor, Jim Stick-Schulte, after the break, and I'm Wes Chang. This is the Juice on the Cuse podcast. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. For those of you who've been following our coverage on the Juice Online this week, you'll see that Associate Editor Jim Stick-Schulte has been doing a position-by-position preview of the team. So let's take a deep dive into it with them. Jim, how are you today? Doing great. Cool weather in Syracuse. Got me thinking about fall and football. Fall weather in central New York sounds good to me, Jim. And anyone who reads your stuff knows that you're a stat guy. If you had to pick one stat that's going to dictate the success of this Syracuse football season, what would it be? Well, it wouldn't be fitting for me to pick a normal stat, so why do it now? Um, I've even gone crazy and pick one you're not going to find in the box score. It's percentage of snaps played by Garrett Schrader. Uh, Schrader, uh, as has already been posted on the website, on the, my quarterback's look, is that uh, he's the engine that makes this machine go, and the Orange need him. Um, last year, he played in just under 86% of the snaps that the football team had in their on offense, and when he was up on the field, they picked up almost 88% of the team's yards. So he's obviously a very important part of that machine. Um, he missed a game and a half last year, uh, knocked out of the Notre Dame game with injury, and then missed the Pittsburgh game the following week. Um, Schrader played real well last season. Um, you know, several games where they're close to seven yards per play, a couple even exceeding that. And the offense averaged 6.16 yards per play uh, when Schrader was taking snaps, uh, discarding kneel downs. He had one of those to cap that wild Virginia win. Um, the difference uh, between him and Carlos Del Rio Wilson, and this is not to, uh, to throw any shade on Del Rio Wilson. He's a reserve. He's a young player. He's developing. All of that is fact. Um, when Del Rio Wilson took snaps, the team averaged 5.33 yards per play. Um, and that's a little inflated by uh, uh, one big thing. Uh, he took nine snaps against Wagner and, and the team and averaged over 15 yards a play when he was in there. Um, and out of the 138 yards on those nine snaps, 90 of them came on a run by LaQuint Allen. So that's a bit of a uh, – that one play, let's just say, is uh, kind of messing up the uh, small sample size greatly. Um, and Del Rio Wilson was very good in the second half against Notre Dame against an unprepared defense for him, averaging uh, the offense averaged over 6.6 yards per carry, 6.6 yards per play uh, in the second half when Del Rio Wilson was in Pittsburgh the following week when they knew Del Rio Wilson was going to start barely over three yards a play. So uh, it is vitally important uh, that Schrader is on the field, um, not and not just because they were overmatched in that Pittsburgh game that they lost and things went poorly in the second half against Notre Dame without him, but Schrader also, when he came back, he looked like he came back uh, not 100% when he did come back last year in the Florida State game. He turned in one of his worst performances of the year. Um, the team uh, had 106 yards of offense in the time that he Schrader played, and he played 
he had 39 of the team's 48 snaps in that game. Um, and it was just brutal. And then things perked up after that. So uh, this team needs Schrader to play a lot, to play as much as possible. I mean, uh, you know, in games that where things get out of hand and the Orange are comfortably ahead, by all by all means, get Del Rio Wilson some more experience. But this team needs Schrader uh, behind center and taking snaps and directing that offense if they have uh, uh, any hopes of being successful this season. So, Jim, I've gotten win-loss predictions from Brad Bierman, Rich Scanlon, just now Brendan Carney. I gave mine at the top of the podcast. So what am I putting you down for for the 2023 season? Well, not to blow the suspense of when uh, the football preview finally gets around to that point, but I've got Syracuse 7-5 and five this year, which, again, is a completely fine goal and would be a completely fine season for them. Um, the season starts off with a couple, you know, ramp-up games. I'm not, you know, trying to be mean by saying that, but Colgate's an FCS opponent, and Western Michigan uh, was picked six out of the seven teams in their division in the MAC. So, uh, particularly with both those games in the friendly confines of the JMA Dome, Syracuse should start two and zero, and then they have their stiffest non-conference test. Uh, they have a road game at Purdue to finish off the home and home series with them. Purdue will have uh, a lot of turnover this year, including that they are switching their offense to the air raid. Um, so that will be a new look and something different for the Orange to see compared to last year. But that game probably is closer to a toss-up. Uh, and then the Orange return home for Army. So I think 3-1 and one is, you know, a baseline for what they do in the first four games, the non-conference part of the schedule. And then the meat grinder, home versus Clemson, and then at North Carolina and Florida State. It's going to be a tough three-week stretch. There's no getting around that. And saying it's tough is probably downplaying it significantly. But at the same time, they have their bye week after that Florida State game, so they can kind of so hopefully some of the bumps and bruises get healed that uh, week off, and then the finishing kick. It's there are challenges, but there's there's no game where you look at the out of these five and just say Syracuse can't win. Uh, Pittsburgh is probably Pittsburgh at Yankee game is probably the toughest test, but Virginia Tech on the road is not. They struggled last year under a new coach. You know, it's who knows what will happen. Uh, Syracuse gets an has one day more of rest coming into the following night game against Boston College as well as a home game. So that one should could very well go in the Orange's favor. And then they close on the road with Georgia Tech and home against Wake Forest. A couple other games that are definitely winnable. I think seven and five is reasonable. Seven and five and another bowl would be good. It would be nice to make uh, bowl games for the first time in, in consecutive years for the first time in a decade. Um, I think that would make things feel better uh, for the Orange, especially because uh, it's not the easiest place to recruit at, as we see with uh, how they're building the roster now. And scholars taking in lots of players from higher, you know, higher reputational power five schools come running here. I think that's a good plan for the Orange to help bolster their, you know, roster. Um, I think it's one of the things that's going to help pay off down the road. I don't know if it's going to do a whole lot this year, but it's a good strategy and it obviously it's going to help support this team. Uh, with that, to get to that seven to five record, Jim, we're right at the end of our show. You got a closing thought for us? Yeah, one part about the uh, football team that doesn't really ever get talked about much is special teams, and you know, makes sense for a long. You know, we had five years of Andre Schmidt at kicker, and everything was fine. But I think special teams is going to be a big difference for this year uh, for the Orange. Um, Trevor Pena, I don't really have any doubts about him. Uh, Athlon named him, you know to all ACC, third-team punt returner, fourth-team for kickoff returner. I think the return game is in pretty good hands. Um, I feel better about, you know, the punting than I do the kicking, though. Jack Stonehouse, the Missouri transfer, who won the job at Missouri last year as a freshman, 
Um, I like the fact that he unseated a someone last year in the middle of the season, took over the job and punted well, about a 42-and-a-half-yard gross average punting transferring here. I think that's a plus. I am concerned um, about Brady, Denny, Brady Denneberg, excuse me, uh, taking over at kicker for Andre Schmidt, and that's not a slight on Denneberg. I'd be concerned about anyone taking over for Andre Schmidt. Um, I mean, Denneberg does have uh, a nice resume from before he was at Syracuse, before being the kickoff specialist uh, last year. Uh, Cole's kicker, Cole's professional camps, which is the uh, top uh, high school kicking recruiting website group out there, they had Denneberg as a five-star kicker and number 12 in his class when he was a senior in high school. So he does have a good resume with which to work, and hopefully uh, he'll live off, live up to that gaudy rating uh, when he takes over the job full-time this season. Jim, I'm going to close the show on some realignment drama. As Brendan and I spoke about at the top of the show, Stanford and Cal are looking for admission into the ACC. And this is a quote from UNC women's soccer coach Anson Dortz. Quote, there is no way I want to share the glory of our conference with two schools that do a very good job recruiting against us. And so basically, I want Cal and Stanford to die on a vine, end quote. So when I read this, I thought to myself, wow, shots fired. Now, later, he puts out a damage control statement saying he has the utmost respect for both schools. But North Carolina State, NC State, Clemson, and FSU are the four teams lined up against adding more schools to the ACC. And with statements like that from Dorrance, it's easy to see why I ultimately think these three schools are going to join the ACC on some level. And I think the compromise will be that the schools join maybe only for football and basketball and they take less money. But this, again, it just shows the absurdity of realignment. That's it for us. I want to thank my guest, Syracuse football legend, Brendan Carney, the Juice Online associate editor, Jim Stick Schulte. And this is Wes Chang reminding you that it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the dog's owner and the distance you are from your car. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast presented by Rivals.com, and we'll see you next time. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.